Hello, everyone. It's Christine Marie. This is the Rose Woman Podcast, and I'm your host. This week, we're talking about sacred birth. Before I get started with our amazing guest, I'd like to read to you a quote from The Great Cosmic Mother, a book by Monica Sjoo, S-J-O-O. Take this in. Virgin meant not married, not belonging to a man, a woman who was one in herself. The very word derives from a Latin root meaning strength for skill and was later applied to men, virile. Ishtar, Diana, Astarte, Isis were all called virgin, which did not refer to sexual chastity, but sexual independence. And all great culture heroes of the past, mythic or historic, were said to be born of virgin mothers. Marduk, Gilgamesh, Buddha, Osiris, Dionysus, Dionysus, sorry, Genghis Khan, Jesus, they were all affirmed as sons of the great mother, of the original one, their worldly power deriving from her. When the Hebrews used the word in the original Aramaic, it meant maiden or young woman with no connotations to sexual chastity. But later Christian translators could not conceive of the Virgin Mary as a woman of independent sexuality, and needless to say, they distorted the meaning into sexually pure, chaste, and never touched. When Joan of Arc, with her witch coven associations, was called La Pucelle, the Maiden, the Virgin, the word retained some of its original sense of a strong and independent woman. So that quote, what, what if the Virgin Mary had all along meant a woman who was whole unto herself, strong enough to birth a divine being and bring them into the world. We're going to talk today with Jaguar Star, who is an expert in sacred birthing, the development and reinstatement of women's wisdom. Uh, she's a global doula. She runs a lot of online courses in German and in English, and I highly respect her. I I came in touch with her again when I was looking for someone to speak about the French obstetrician and birth pioneer Michel Audin. And you'll hear her mention him in this podcast several times. Audin was an obstetrician who was uh, became a surgeon in France in the 50s, and he was really behind the reinstatement or the resacralization of birth uh, chilling it out for medical intervention, returning power to the mother. He wrote a dozen plus books, Birth Reborn, Primal Health, The Farmer and the Obstetrician. He wrote a groundbreaking book called The Functions of the Orgasms, The Highways to Transcendence, which is not just about sexual orgasm, but about other bodily functions that mimic orgasm, and Childbirth in the Future of Homo Sapiens, uh, Why Birth you know, books on, you know, sort of why, if you want to change the world, you need to change birth. He had done a lot of studies on uh, experience that show that an approach which demedicalizes birth, restores dignity and humanity to the process of childbirth, and returns control to the mother is also the safest approach to childbirth. And he has other very critical and female trusting advice, uh, such as when you're in hard labor, remember that the length of labor is usually proportional to the number of people around. Avoid the presence of anybody who might release adrenaline. 
He writes, the best situation I know for an easy birth is when there is nobody else around other than an experienced, motherly, and silent midwife who does not behave like a guide or an observer. In other words, he trusts women. Now, we we discuss in the pod today not only that sacralization component, but we also talk about how to hold that uh, with modern obstetrics so that women who are at risk or babies who are at risk are well cared for and how to have a little bit of the best of both worlds. We also discuss how creativity and other forms of non-physical birth and the principles of sacred birthing are useful for anything that we're doing, whether we're in a male body or in a female body. So with that, uh, please welcome Jaguar Star. She starts by telling me why the Kundalini experience that's described in yoga isn't quite the way it's generally told to us, and how for her it was awakened by birthing. You know how sometimes in the yoga world we hear about the kundalini awakening from down to up, like an electric current going through your spine and awakening the so-called chakras. So there's a, this idea that there's this electric current that goes from the earth, goes through our whole entire bodies, awakens us at some level up into the sky. And that's a very typical idea that we know in the yogic world and maybe other spiritual traditions. Now, what I experienced also when a lot of my own personal processes around birth really um, fleshed out and became very intense and focused was the other way around. An electric current coming from the center of the cosmos through my entire body into the earth. And at the time, you know, maybe lots of other people talk about that. At the time, I didn't know anyone who had talked about that. I had, didn't have any connection to that. I didn't have any story around that. And my experience was this is what birth is. You know, maybe you have that experience um, during birth in a more physical way. And this was a purely energetic way. It was simply the energy of the cosmos electrically pulsing through my body and showing me this principle of birth at a very, I guess, etheric level, but it was very tangible and very clearly palpable in my body. You know, that was kind of the starting point where I realized birth is something really physical that happens in us. And, and the, the intensity of what I experienced was unusual. It's not something that I experienced every single day. That was a really particularly strong experience, but it awakened me to what's actually happening at a deeper level for us. Two things on that. When I had my first three children were met were medical, medicalized, hospitalized, anesthetized. And my last, uh, my fourth son was born at home. And the only one of those births where I felt the descent of spirit into embodiment was the home birth. When like I'm squatting down and and whatever rush of chemicals it is that happens in your body you feel like you're an Amazon, like you're the creatrix and out comes this amazing life and the cry and the strength and the, I mean, the pure bliss of that moment of pushing out that child was like totally unexpected after the first three births. And so there's something around that that I'd love to kind of explore. But then also there's a concept in Buddhism of uh, that revelation is existing in the co field of consciousness. 
and that it is waiting for the right time to reveal itself to the to a person who basically pulls it down and transcribes it, and that they actually have particular trained priests-ish, monkish people, whose whole job it is to do that, to go out and find these sort of cosmic Easter eggs of wisdom. And so it's the only religion with ongoing revelation built into its structure, which I think is so beautiful, but that's what's happening all the time. Like in every idea that we have, you think it's you that's having an idea, but the idea is having you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like ideas are out there hunting around looking for somebody who will take them and make them into reality. I know. And I mean, some artists are more aware and conscious of that because they talk about the muse, you know, and the muse having you. And I feel like as women particularly, but anyway, as humans, there's so much creative potential in us that we're often not aware of. And, you know, we've we compartmentalize birth into this thing that only affects women at a certain time of our lives and is about babies. And it's so powerful and it's so important. And it's like the absolute foundation of our whole life as humans on this planet. And at the same time, birth also happens through us in other ways all the time. And it's a very embodied, I would say it's an absolutely interconnected experience because it connects how we're thinking, how we're feeling, how we're embodying and, you know, the way the paths to, to exploring that are very um, woven and multifaceted. And I would also say it's really unique for each person. Yeah, so, the, with, so accepting a seed, nurturing it inside of you, rolling it around, developing it, growing it until it's ready to be given out to the world, and then pushing it out and letting it be raised in community and seeing where it goes so that you can do that with an idea, a piece of music, a piece of art, a stage of life. I, I mean, it's a powerful metaphor for men too. And also what I often say that people forget is, um, guess what, that men were also born. So believe it or not, men also know birth. You know, it's not a purely woman-centered thing because men also came through the vagina and actually experience the passageway of birth. I'm so glad you said that. So there's this the cooperate. So, so people have to talk a lot about like the birth trauma of the baby is basically being pushed out of this, you know, sacred womb space or whatever, this protected world that they're in. But that wasn't my experience with my son. It was, it was like, I'm kind of like, are you ready to go? He's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay, so we're having this dialogue, and and he's and he's like prepared because it's part of his innate knowing from every lifetime before that birth comes with like preparing. It's going to be hard, but we're going to be in cooperation, and we entered into the process of birthing together. You know, he was ready, and and that it wasn't a trauma; it was a cooperation. Well, and you know, I, I mean, part of what got me, this would be a sort of answer to your earlier question earlier in my life. Um, I practiced as a craniosacral therapist. That's one of the professions that I practiced and still practice and love craniosacral therapy. And that was one of my first access ways into birth is because I was working with so many people. And in the craniosacral world, it's a kind of body work which is similar to osteopathy. You're touching a person's body. You're feeling into the um, fluid systems in the body. You're reading the body at a physical but very subtle and nuanced way. And, you know, feeling, I would say, essentially the soul in the body. Basically, it's kind of like this is what I love. I love bridging body and soul. That's 
part of my passion and really understanding where those two meet. And then craniosacrotherapy, that's what happens. And so many people that I work with, if not every single person, I found that their body stories tracked back to their birth, which is something that you can track in craniosacral work. And so that was one of the fascinations that I had that I realized that everybody's soul birth story was still there in their bodies. And I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about our story. And, you know, all of our stories are different. All of our stories are unique. And I would even say that the way we have our birth is part possibly of our life challenges, our life lessons, what forms us in life and the things that later become bigger parts of our life and that we're still deal dealing with, that we dealt with in birth and we're still dealing with as we're adults. What do you think is the connection then between industrialized birth and the degradation of the planet or in the industrialized society? Well, I think it's a massive connection. And, and I mean, people like Michel Ardant talk about that, don't they? I mean, that's the interest in birth. That's why birth is such a, to me, every single human on this planet should have an extremely deep interest in birth if they have any interest in our human life continuing on this planet. Can say more about that. Say more about, you know, there's so much in the modern world that's like, you know what? Women aren't dying in childbirth. More babies are surviving stop making such a big deal of it. We're not going back to natural. We lost women right and left. Like just as long as you have a healthy baby and a healthy mother, that's all that matters. And that's been kind of the line for the rationalizations around the explosion in C-sections and other things like that. And so let's talk both end, healthy baby, healthy mother, and this deep uh, quality birth experience and the blending of those two concepts so they don't stand in such polarity. How do you do that? Well, I, I personally think that Michel Ardon himself is the absolute expert on this particular question because he's done, if you're anybody who's listening is interested in really diving deep into these questions, Michel Ardon has got amazing books, amazing educational material to explore in depth scientifically why birth affects us humans so fundamentally and basically he talks about the connection of our capacity to love is formed by birth physiologically and if you think about that if you think about how of course you know as as we grow up as we get older healing is possible and um we can heal we can grow we can transform but at a basic physiological level those those years just after birth are ultimately formed by the birth experience itself, by that time just before birth, in the birth channel, and just after birth. And those moments are so pivotal. And Michel Ardor basically says, you know, if we protect those moments, we are doing a massive amount of work for the whole of the rest of the lifetime of that person. And that person's whole capacity to love, whole capacity to interact as a human being, whole capacity to be in the world. And also um, nowadays with our understanding of, of the nervous system, the way the nervous system can relate with the world, because depending on how much capacity we have in our nervous system, we may be more open or more closed. Because if our nervous system is overloaded already within itself, we don't have the capacity to open up for other people's pain, for other people's sorrow, for other people's hurt. Maybe we are incapable of being empathic even because we're so immersed in our own struggles and our own suffering at a nervous system at a physiological level. 
if we if we look at that and there is historical evidence that birth was disrupted on purpose to create warriors to create cold-hearted warriors who were able to go into battle and kill each other wow. you know so there's also so there's not it's not all rosy colored when we look into the past and we say yeah but you know in the in the tribal cultures or in the indigenous cultures it was all rosy colored but it's not true because birth has been disrupted for a very 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 long time and also often with a purpose in in my experience of working with women in the birthing field now for really um a long time most of my adult life my entire professional life has been working with women and around feminine topics and at the end of the day, the most important thing for a woman in my experience is that the experience is consensual and empowered. And if something medical has to happen, you know, even if we're talking about C-sections or um, all sorts of hospital interventions, sometimes those experiences can happen and the woman can come out of that experience feeling completely whole and completely empowered if those medical professionals have worked in collaboration with her, have been trauma sensitive, have informed her have worked with informed consent, which is actually a medical practice that should be implemented by all medical pra practitioners. And unfortunately, we so often in the medical profession see still this power over mentality, which is hurting women. Well, it hurts anybody who gets medical treatment. And in the context of birth, it hurts women. Yeah. Tell me, uh, can, can you go back to this? Birth was disrupted with a purpose. That's a proud, that, I mean, that's a very new idea. I know there's some of that stuff in the Odent book about denying the orgasmic experience of birth by prohibiting bonding between the mother and child in the, in the minutes after without that quiet, et cetera. But can you tell me more historically about this idea of disrupting birth for a purpose? Yeah. So um, I, yes. Yeah, so um, apparently there is, various different cultures all around the world where the warriors were specifically this was done to um boys especially to make sure that they were able to be good warriors to disrupt that and you know there's cultures and i have had contact with mexican indigenous shamans who also told me stories these are only stories that i've heard from people so i can't be seen you know that's why i often like to refer to people like Michelle Ando who've done all the statistics and all the research and they can evidence it all and I can't do that. I simply am not able to do that. But the stories that I've been told um, is that sometimes in these tribal environments is pretty harsh. That it's like either you toughen up or you die, you know, and even that newborn boys were thrown into cold water wells to check if they will swim and get to the other side of the well. What? And if they didn't, they would leave them to drown. Here we're putting tiny little babies in incubators and keeping them for 14 weeks until they can breathe on their, it's, it's amazing. What a difference. All right. So all of these principles that you're rediscovering and you're putting out in the world, they've been part of women's wisdom but that at some point went underground. Can you speak to the uh, submersion of these female wisdom trainings and then how you are bringing them back to life and reseeding them in the world? Well, that's, um, I guess that's my biggest passion and that's what lights my fire. That's, so it's, um, some of these things are so hard to put into just a few words. 
Again, there has been a couple of great books written about that if you're interested in listening and want to read more about the historical side of this. So there's um, a book called The Cosmic Mother, which delves into some of that historical stuff. There's another one called The Chalice and the Blade, which is a wonderful resource. And basically, my understanding historically versus knowledge base is that the goddess cultures all around the world were slowly taken over um, by what is now called or known as the patriarchy or Clarissa Pinkola Estes likes to call it the overculture. Um, and it's been such a long, slow process that it's happened over such a long period of time, um, which in my mind includes the destruction of our environment, the destruction of our nature, of our earth, the um, absolute oppression of everything that is woman, everything that is feminine, but also everything that is different, everything that is unique, the kind of creation of um, a society which is treating people kind of like they were robots in lots of ways, we're all meant to be functional. I feel like at the moment we're at a cusp, uh, like a real pivotal moment in time where the feminine has got this chance to reemerge. And I don't think any of it was a mistake, you know, like things happen in big cycles and, and in ways that we can't even imagine, right? Like it's like this huge mystery that who, who are we to know what this massive, huge historical story was all about. But all I know is that me as a soul and lots of women on this planet right now are here to bring back some of that feminine wisdom. And it's in our bones, it's in our bodies, it's in our soul. And in my experience, it needs often a container, a clear, held, safe container for exploration because out there in our world, there's so much distraction, there's so much dismissal, there's so much downputting of all these feminine ways of knowing. And it, we've internalized a lot of that. So, you know, the same way that we might do an educational course as a um, physiotherapist or an engineer, or we might be interested in kindergartening or whatever, we spend years on those things. But how much time do we spend once we are interested in our feminine wisdom? How much time do we spend on that? And for a lot of people, it's just a weekend course or a small online course or a hobby. And to me, these feminine ways of knowing deserve just as much time and space as in other forms of education. Yeah, as you articulate even the historical processes and overculture aspects of things. So you could do a PhD in this, and many people actually do. They go on to advanced studies in that, although, hello, that's another linear way of knowing. Um, but the way you're doing it is you're delivering the sacred rose year-long program of nine months or something like that that's meant to sort of give people longer than a weekend, but sort of a way to take this study seriously, correct? Yeah, so what I found is um, I felt, especially in my midwifery studies, you know, my whole passion for the feminine led me into midwifery. And then I kind of felt like, man, it shouldn't be necessary to do like long, drawn-out academic fields of studies to get in touch with your feminine essence because also a lot of that's very, very academic, it's very intellectual-based, and it's not really about embodiment, and it's not really about exploring all of those deep feminine aspects in yourself. So if we want to do that and want to give that some real time and space, one of the ways to begin, kind of like a beginning um, pathway for many women, is women's circles. Gathering in women's circles, coming together as women, sharing. 
But we're in a time in our global development where for so many of us, so much is up all the time. Like we're processing so much. There's trauma, there's healing, there's personal explorations, our sexuality, creativity and everything. So if we want to hold space for that kind of process in a way that really allows for deep, rich learning and growing, then it can be helpful and useful to perhaps go through your own process of how can I hold space for those types of deep explorations? And that's what Sacred Rose is. It's a nine module because it's a pregnancy kind of term. It's like a cycle of nine um, themes where you're birthing yourself and birthing that part of yourself where you become capable of really truly holding sacred space for women. That's, that is uh, in German, in English? In, it's in English. It's in English. Wonderful. You said something about it not being a mistake. It's really hard to stand where I am today and not think of all of that repression of the feminine as a mistake, looking at the sort of eco trauma we're in the middle of looking at the way women are still being treated in various nations, even here in the United States, with disrespect for their bodily autonomy and all kinds of things. And even what a new term that's emerging over here is something called Christofascism, or the merger of fascism and Christianity, evangelical Christianity, in a highly organized manner to dominate other people, has like basically become a political force. And that we're, we're sort of seeing like, I would love to invite the mystic Christ, the Magdalene, all of these sort of ancient wisdom teachings that come in about spirit into my life without having to also bring in these hierarchies and dominant structures that have co-opted it. it it's, a, it's, it's such a subtle line to walk. I don't even know what to call myself anymore from a faith perspective. And I find myself getting a little bit resentful and angry that those um, systems have taken so much energy and so much freedom and pleasure and joy. So how do you accept what was and move forward in your own work? Do you, how do you hold your center in the face of all of these things? Well, there's, I think for all of us, there's certain things that trigger us more. There's some topics, especially related to women and um, especially also related to young girls that really get me upset as well. And um, of course, you know, I have like really personal triggers where I get very upset. But um, if I go, if I drop into that deeper sense in me while you were speaking and I have also different parts. There's my human self and there's various different aspects of that and um, archetypes that I'm working with. But within that, then deeper than that, in this feminine work, to do this feminine work, I'm often and almost constantly in touch with what I would just call the goddess, you know, the deep, dark, primordial, forever goddess, uh, whatever name you want to give that. And to me, she feels so powerful and like so... Like nothing on this planet and no person is more powerful than that. And she could eat all of us up and just destroy the whole thing in any minute, you know. So I'm totally with you. Like I feel like most of what's happening on our planet, there's so many atrocities happening. It's heartbreaking. It's extremely distressing. And what I focus on is my work and what I'm meant to do. That's how I focus is like, what can I do? What What is it that I'm here to bring? And and I focus so much on that. I put all my energy on that. That's all I do in my life is this work. There's nothing else actually in my life, um, factually. <laughs> I've given the last 10 years to the women's school entirely. 
it's my way of contributing to this greater unfolding. And, you know, I'm definitely completely on the goddess team, 100%. <laughs> you know, I, I want to say one thing I really appreciated as we were talking is how you place yourself squarely as a woven nodule in this fabric of knowing in other people's books and work and how you bow to their knowledge and incorporate yourself as this larger tapestry, which is very feminine and beautiful. You know, there are this continuation of lineage and complementary along all these other parallel ways. And I have interviewed um, people, many different people now, and that, that there's a particular kind of femininity that acknowledges the nesting among others. So thank you. Maybe I would add um, that in my whole experience with building this school and working with so many women, both in my team and with the students and with all sorts of people that are involved in something like this, um, because you were talking about community, um, I feel like it's such a challenge for us because, you know, of course we need both the forces, all of the forces in our life. We might, might like to call them the feminine and the masculine, and they may take many other forms and many other shapes and many other colors and words and feminine and masculine, you know, that's just sort of for ease of explanation and simplicity in a way. It, it does need both. And um, it, it's, it is, that's why I think weaving is such a wonderful metaphor because in the weaving, you know, we've also got the weaving, um, I don't know what that's called, the stand or? The loom. The loom, which we weave upon. And so we're weaving upon the loom. So without the loom, we can't do our weaving and we need all the different strings and then we need the, the wood framework there um, for that to happen. And I think that sometimes as we, we women are awakening and rising and healing and activating ourselves. Well, here we are in the great loom, sitting somewhere in the smush of history, of long, deep history, like the kind that's millions and millions of years in which no human action will ever make a dent. And in the history of our lives, and even in this moment, we're existing on so many different layers of the loom. Am I a thing? Or am I just a host for a bunch of bacteria and parasites and viruses and foreign cells and water cells that kind of walks around in a skin bag? I don't know. I exist in some way to serve the wind and to accept the sun and to let the air come in and out of me and I filter it through my nostrils and give it back and I exist to serve my children and serve the people that I work with and take my place among the creatures of the world, human and animal and plant and be in that loom. I am taken in the last days about the idea of domain, which is domain is a home in French and how at some point in our history, the word domination came into play and uh, dominion, which used to mean take care of your home, became domination or rule over this place and how we need to return to domain that we rehome ourselves among all the other creatures with this deep, deep love of the planet and the deep, deep love of life and treat it as precious, you know, jaded and being cool. They're not the friend of anyone. They're not the friend of joy in life. 
They're not the friend of the planet. You know what's friendly? Being fresh and being ready to love and having eyes of innocence. From that place, we can do a lot of amazing things to live in harmony on earth. Okay, well, there's my little sermon. I hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you're at and that you take one moment to just give yourself a big hug and say, I am holy, I am complete, I am strong, I am a being in myself and from my strength and centeredness, I can walk out in the world and serve and love and act in so many ways. All right, if you like this episode and you want to share it, I'd be most grateful. The best way to do that is to just pause and text it to someone who might like it. And if you liked it, please come and give it a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts um, or share it on Spotify or anywhere else that you're listening to pods. All love. Talk to you next time.